welcome to Work of Fiction, the podcast that analyzes the fictional organizations you see in movies and TV. Today's episode, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I'm Paula Sizek, here with my colleagues, Jane Garza and Kim Perkins. We are members of Nobel, an organizational design firm that transforms company cultures. Every month, we like to take a break from helping real organizations change to discuss fictional leaders and organizations, what works, what doesn't, and most importantly, we like to talk about the simple tools that they and you, our listeners, can implement to make the workplace better. Today, we're looking at Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original from 1971, starring Gene Wilder, based on the book by Roald Dahl. Poor Charlie lives near the factory of a candy maker extraordinaire, Willy Wonka. When he wins one of the five golden tickets promising a tour with Wonka himself, Charlie finds himself swept into the world of pure imagination and more than a little danger. Spoiler alert starts now, so if you don't know what happens, turn back now. This is one of the first movies that came up when we had the idea of analyzing fictional organizations. It's such a well-known movie. Everybody knows the premise, uh, even if it's not a very good movie. What did you guys think about watching it? What? It's not a good movie? You you liked it? (laughs) I am so charmed by it. I'm charmed by it. But I mean, we're going to talk about the characters and how I feel about some of the characters. But in general, yeah, I was so charmed. Oh, all right. I wasn't really into it. It was such a different world. I was like, wow. A world of pure imagination. Oh, right. Well, maybe not so pure. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about the man himself, Willy Wonka. How would you describe him as a leader? He's definitely the charismatic leader role. Where you have sort of a, a, a mysterious but powerful figure who can do something better or who's convinced everybody he can do something better than everybody and therefore gets a whole lot of uh, leeway because um, for being kind of a weirdo. He is quite eccentric, I think, yeah. is, a, is a fair description. I, I mean, like more than eccentric, he like terrorizes people. <laughs> Little surprises around every corner, but nothing dangerous. He has them win in a, a contest, and then I think he murders right, some eccentric. children. Murders <laughs> some children. You know, a couple of just quirks here and there. I think a couple go into a furnace. Um, but it's not yeah. going to get turned on. It's like every other day, so they have a sporting <laughs> sure, chance. Sure. I mean, yeah, he, he plays like the whimsical, eccentric man, but he, his version of whimsical is pretty intense and sometimes a little scary. When I was reading about how this was made, when they were apparently there were a lot of different actors who were really, really, really wanted the role of Willy Wonka, mm. but Gene Wilder um, read the script and said, "I'll do it, but only if I can do uh, pretend to have a cane and not walk well, and then suddenly do a somersault when I do my opening when I come out the first scene I'm seen on camera." It's such a good entrance. And he said, I want that so that people aren't ever sure if I'm telling the truth or not through the rest of the movie. Mm, Love that. But like, he's not because he can walk with a cane. (laughs) Like, 
he doesn't he doesn't need it so therefore he is lying right so, so he wanted that element so wants, of tr- the trickster in there yeah he wants you to think that every time he says anything he might um, be completely opposite i love the way he plays the character i love when the kids are like in danger it, like when he's i think it's violet he's like don't eat the gum it's tomato soup it's hot and creamy. I can actually feel it running down my throat. Stop. Don't. <laughs> yes, it's so great how he does, does that so subtle. Yeah. Would it be fair to call Wonka a brilliant jerk? Oh, so fair. Yes. I think this is definitely in the mold of the, the, the myth of the lone genius that what? people set leaders up in and that a lot of people kind of want to set themselves up in as a charismatic leader. So what is the brilliant jerk or the lone genius? Yes, it's that they're so incredibly talented at something that the fact that they're a complete jerk and are harming lots of people, that everybody forgives them. It's fine. It's Mm. like Steve Jobs. Yeah. Yeah, so if there was like a spectrum of jerk to not jerk, whatever, I feel like the end of the spectrum is mad scientist, which is more of a Willy Wonka. He's like one step above. But yes, brilliant jerk fits for this. Just to be clear, the mad scientist, is that on this scale of jerk to non-jerk, is that one step above jerk or one step above non-jerk? One step above jerk. Okay, good. I just wanted to clarify <laughs> that for our listeners. Yeah, well, I think I see, I see what you're saying. Is it that a jerk like causes harm to the people around them, but like a mad scientist might blow up the world? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or kill some children. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of labels... <laughs> When we when we talk about successful male leaders, there is a tendency to describe them as genius. Steve Jobs comes to mind, right? Where their output, their work is just an innate quality of their excellence as opposed to something that they achieve through hard work, mm-hmm. which is how yeah. women are usually characterized as leaders. Well, they work hard and that's how they get to where they are. Mm-hmm. So would you describe as Wonka as a genius and how does this impact how other people interact with him? Yeah, I just shared this article in our internal Slack channel, but it was talking about geniuses and how we talk about geniuses as a society. And um, in it, it was just talking about how genius isn't really genius itself. Sometimes it is, but usually it's someone who's risky enough to do something that's hard to do and try to take that like non-worn path to get to a new outcome, like potentially Tesla let's say like no one wanted to try to do that or no one could figure out how to try to spin up that company but Elon Musk did um so I think in that way Willy Wonka is a genius in that he's like he's a big risk taker he's testing a lot of products what we see out in the world that's actually being sold is just chocolate bars mostly it's like pretty traditional chocolate it's not like he's selling the really experimental stuff but that's how he gets to his best-selling products potentially and, you know, it, originally it wasn't said that you were a genius, like it was part of your personality. The original phrase was that you had a genius, meaning in a sense kind of like having a muse or having a basically a ghost or that expresses itself through you. And it wasn't really a part of your earthly personality. Mm-hmm. I think that's gotten lost when we talk about people being geniuses as opposed to having a genius. Mm. Going back to this point about taking risk and being willing to push the field right Wonka's fame clearly comes from his ability to innovate so in the factory we see things like the everlasting gobstopper fizzy lifting drinks Wonka vision what can we learn from his approach to innovation we were just talking about Silicon Valley 
and how they sometimes lampooning tech companies uh skunk works where they're trying out all kinds of really weird things that there may or may not be a market for or there may or may not be an application for so i think when the useful part of that is to really think big and not necessarily have the pressure of we need to have a productize this and get out in the market by second quarter. It happens every time. They all become blueberries. You've really done it this time, haven't you, Wonka? I'll break you for this. Oh, well, I'll get it right in the end. So the way he approaches it is definitely in line with that, in, in that we'll figure out how to do it first and we'll turn it into a product later. We actually get to see Wonka testing out some of his innovations, right? Like he adds sneakers to add a little bit more kick. What, which, while I'm not... So gross. Which I'm not <laughs> suggesting that organizations try quite, quite literally, but what about how he thinks about innovation could companies take away from this? One of the things that I see is that, um, you know, having taught a lot of creativity seminars and creative creativity for logical people in particular is to stimulate people's ability to think laterally. You know, creativity is about the definition is taking something from one domain and something from a completely different domain and sticking them together in a way that's productive. And so thinking about a sneaker, putting in sneakers to add a kick, even though that idea, I just was like, where have those sneakers been? <laughs> And I got so distracted Every, by that. Everywhere. Right? <laughs> I got so distracted by that. I couldn't deal with, ugh. But, um, but that is exactly the kind of thinking that does lead to new uh, ideas and to new innovations and being able to, as Jane said, put, um, take a path that nobody else has been able to see or take. You know, Jane, I think it's interesting. You were saying we see a lot of his innovations in the factory, but not necessarily outside. On the outside, it's just chocolates. Mm -hmm. Part of the story of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is this idea that his ideas are being stolen by outsiders. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing the research, it's interesting. The idea came to Dahl for this story back when he was a kid. He was actually given samples from the local candy makers of Cadbury's and Roan Trees, and they were constantly at war with each other. And so they were actually sending spies in in order wow. to try and steal the innovation. So they were trying to be highly secretive. And that's where the idea of the candy factory with this incredible inventive inventor came from. Um, the fun. The Such whole, drama in the chocolate world. <laughs> the whole Slugworth line in the, in the movie is totally blown out of proportion from the original book. Doll wasn't happy with it. I certainly wasn't happy <laughs> with it as a, as a reader of the film. Um, but yeah, so there is that there is a historical basis for where this interest in candy innovation comes mm. from. That's cool. That's cool with the candy. I mean, because we think about it with te with with technical projects and all how, how far like we were, I don't know it was it was just the anniversary of the release of the iPhone, so we were watching the original videos and doing a little research there and discovered what that that how much lock and key all of that had to be under and so you know corporate espionage is bleh, corporate espionage is real and at the same time i think people's like individual people's idea uh, worry about their ideas being stolen is often overblown because it sometimes takes so much work to bring something to life that it's unlikely that people will or that people have the ability to 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 just steal ideas and and do it wholesale we talk about culture being your last sustainable 
competitive advantage because you really can copy everything, right? It is mm -hmm. not hard to reverse engineer an everlasting gobstopper. We were just talking about Silicon Valley and how they were actually able to reverse engineer the product and that's how they were able to get ahead. They beat mm -hmm. them to the punch essentially. There's not a whole lot product-wise that can't be copied, reverse engineered, made cheaper or better. The one thing that you really do have control over is your culture because that is how you do things and it's an emergent property of the people that you work with on a daily basis. And so when we think about how do I set myself apart, how do I make sure that my competitors can't copy me, spend more time thinking about your culture and less time about the product itself. So that actually leads to my next question, which is, Talking about the fairly unorthodox uh, mm -hmm. workforce at the Wonka factory, the Oompa Loompas. As Wonka explains, they are originally from Loompa Land, which is full of very dangerous wangdoodles and vermicious canids. A wangdoodle would eat ten of them for breakfast and think nothing of it. So what did you guys find most interesting about the Oompa Loompas? Well, I mean, Willy Wonka is basically like a dictator. They, they're basically minions. They have to come to him and ask what to do with every step, um, which is it gets you innovation from one person's point of view, like one mad scientist's point of view. But it's not really innovation from like, you know, he might run out of ideas at a certain point, which is why he's trying to find a successor. Um, and he doesn't have group innovation. He doesn't have people to tap into and think of new ways to apply his products, which is a bummer. It's kind of, you know, okay, this is going to take a minute. Mm -hmm. So this is very much a, a, a mental model of organizations from the 60s, where we're thinking about organizations as machines. And there's the people who dream up the ideas in one, you know, in the upper offices. And then there's the people who carry out the work, or actually do the execution. And they, the execution people are just hands. They're just cogs in a machine. And that's not really how we understand our organizations to be now. So I'm sure in a moment we can go into the part about uh, thinking about slavery and colonialism, you know, the original version of this in Roald Dahl's 1962 book. They were very clearly African pygmies that he was thinking about. Um, and so he kind of carried that on to into this book, um, sanitizing it a little bit. Dare I say what? Orange washing it? I, uh, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to make it um, a little bit more sensitive. But it's still the basic, you know, tropes are all there. And that people often, in when we're talking about innovation, people are often talking about um, what the people who are managing the workers do. But we have been, in, you know, at Nobel and... We have gotten so much mileage out of talking to the people who are in the workforce doing the daily daily, uh, who are not who who are very immersed in what they're doing and are rarely asked what they think about things. The Oompa Loompas really are running the entire factory. There's yeah. mm -hmm. there's a line about how because of the competition, because all of his, his secrets were getting stolen, he shut down the factory for three years, and it's only when he brought in the Oompa Loompas, when the Oompa Loompas, I guess, immigrated, um, that he was able to reopen the factory and and bring his chocolate factory back to life. So I think it does actually point to an overlooked resource in that if the Oompa Loompas are the ones doing the work, 
engaged in all of the candy making, mm-hmm. they actually may have their own ideas, um, which could lead to some interesting innovations. Absolutely. Power mm-hmm. to the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Ultimately, the entire golden ticket scheme is a way for Wonka to select his successor. And he actually says that he wants a child instead of an adult. So who can I trust to run the factory when I leave and take care of the Oompa Loompas for me? Not a grown-up. A grown-up would want to do everything his own way, not mine. That's why I decided a long time ago that I had to find a child. A very honest, loving child to whom I can tell all my most precious candy-making secrets. An adult would bring in their own way of doing things, whereas he can mold a child to his way of thinking. So when you're thinking of passing the baton, is this a good strategy? Do you want somebody who you can imprint on and tell them how to do things? Or is it better, quote unquote, to bring someone in who has their own way of doing things? Well, it's a real surrogate son approach. You know, it's it's basically turning it into a family business and, uh, you know, where where you family members get molded from a small from the time they are small in order to take this on. You know, it's like te- teaching the prince how to mm-hmm. be king long before they are king. So it's a time honored tradition for people to do that. And I guess if, you know, I guess he hasn't found like a crazy lady candy genius to go have his own kids with. So... <laughs> Why am I not surprised that he has not found a lady candy genius? <laughs> Doesn't seem like that would be he would, any, anyone would be up to snuff. Yeah, I think the problem with this premise and the problem with the premise in Ready Player One, too, is that the person who's devising this big test doesn't understand their own skills enough to be able to find another version of themselves. Like he is looking for someone who is decent and compassionate. That's what we learn at the end of the movie. And I would not say that that's what Willy Wonka is. He's not a decent person. He's like kind of awful to everyone who visits him. And compassion does not. I didn't see a lot <laughs> Not in the that. top five there. Yeah. No. And, <laughs> yeah. And so, sure, he found a decent, compassionate kid who's like pretty soft spoken and nice. I don't know if he's going to lead a company well. I think it's a really odd way to find your successor. Well, it's true. He's kind of a cipher, actually. He's just a nice kid whereas everybody else is truly heinous yeah so i mean if that means you can be marginally nice and be the last person standing i mean he likes chocolate that's good (laughs) a lot of people like chocolate (laughs) (laughs) but not but not violet beauregard she's a gum chewer Mm. but yeah she was willing to switch over yeah so when we were actually preparing for this um i realized that we had talked about this before in ready player one and you know, so I was thinking about uh, Willy Wonka, and I'm like, well, where's the Oompa Loompas? And I was like, maybe, you know, maybe it's like the librarian, but we know now that someone was actually being, like, talking through it. But I was like, D- is it just like an artificial intelligent army of Oompa Loompas we don't see that actually runs everything? That's so true. Yeah, so we didn't talk about that in structures. Like, who's man- who's running the game? There has to be someone who's running the game. Yeah. There's no way that it's just, like, holding itself up. Maybe it is invisible Oompa Loompas. (laughs) And it's funny because Ready Player One was, I mean, like quite literally based off of Charlie Mm -hmm. and the Chocolate Factory, only it was a video game instead of a chocolate factory. Uh, Why do we keep coming back to this plot line of who's going to be the successor and, and not just who's going to be the successor, but the series of challenges in order to get there? 
It's awesome. I think it's like fan service yeah. in a way, you know, like we're thinking, I'm thinking about, I'm a Game of Thrones fans and everybody thought that they could definitely make the last season better than the guys who actually were charged with doing it, you know. So I think that's kind of a fantasy that when you're watching from the sidelines that you could definitely run that ball down the field, you know, and so that the idea of, well, let's open it up to who's the biggest fan is really uh, uh, attractive for listeners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this goes beyond my organizational design expertise, but from a premise and like writing perspective, it's fun to think about challenges that would turn you into the chosen one and fun to figure out if you would be the chosen one along that that set of challenges. So needless to say, when you put it quite like that, you know, chosen one, anyone can insert themselves and, and imagine themselves running the ball down the field. This does not feel like a really sound way to actually select a successor <laughs> for a modern business. And so what... I know I, f I feel like we have not been asked to run enough like ticket and game yeah. competitions when we're thinking helping companies think about uh, succession planning. I don't know why we haven't really, you know, got into that field so much. I can't wait till we do Hunger Games style. Yes. And, and talk about that <laughs> podcast. It's already Hunger Games style, trust me. Yeah, yeah. Hunger Games, I feel like is what we see a lot of. Um, but yeah, call us up to do some sort of Willy Wonka <laughs> succession style uh, program. Totally. So what what would <laughs> we suggest? Kidding. Like, let's say that there is a leader. Maybe it's a family business. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a larger organization. They're looking to move on. What is a better approach to selecting someone for a promotion? Yeah, I, I'd also just like add, because you're, you're right that this is not the best way to do it. I would also add, if you are on the other side and you're kind of evaluating potential bosses or paths or mentors, I, I think a really good rule of thumb is don't trust people who are secretly testing you. I think that's like a really awful way of picking and choosing who moves up. Um, so be, yes. be very wary of those people. I love that. Secret testing, you fail, testers. Yeah, <laughs> testers fail. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of the, a better way of doing this, usually people who are at the top have tried and failed a lot in order to learn enough to get there too, right? Like they didn't just do everything right every step of the way. And so a good way to find your successor or to train them up, mentor them into the role is to... Um, let them make mistakes or like when you're on the precipice of a big decision, call them in, have the conversation with them, ask them what they might do, and then talk to them after you've made the decision and talk about why you did the thing you did. Basically, like helping them learn from your steps and challenges rather than um, just testing them in the first chance they fail, they're out the door. Uh, you know, and the other thing is that I, I kept thinking, so what does he, how does he foresee this company outliving him? Because so much of it is built on like the charismatic leader. And again, I'm going to go back to Apple and Steve Jobs here. And so obviously everybody who lives on earth until we figure out the singularity, and I hope we never do, will be at some point having to step down and step away. And so is this, you can't really expect it to still be the company of the charismatic genius if the charismatic genius is gone. Right. And so, you know, when we have a different executive at Apple, for example, then it becomes something else. And perhaps the market position also becomes um, continuing, you know, again, going from from innovator to developer to we're, we're going to maintain this success that we have in the market rather than keep building it. And so 
I don't know, maybe he wanted somebody who um, would be able to atone for the sins of burning up some gum lovers in the in this widely publicized competition. You okay, know? Maybe I just, that's why I need some compassion. I want to go on the record and say, at least in the books, it's very clear that all of the children, there's, there's a repeated phrase, it's all going to come out in the wash, and all the children are fine <laughs> at the end of it. Maybe a little bluer, maybe a little stretchier, mm-hmm. but like no one... <laughs> No one dies during the course of the book. Okay, please continue. Okay, well, in the movie, it's really hard to say that. Awesome. And especially when the Loompa Loompas are dancing around basically saying, you were bad and you deserve to die in song form after each person is in. chewed too much gum. Yeah, you chewed too much gum. That is a fatal mistake, man. (laughs) I mean, that is is true to the books. Yeah. Yeah, but to your point, Kim, I think, so Willy Wonka, we're talking about this specific example, do you want this company to continue as Willy Wonka's candies and like his inventions and secrecy, whatever? Or um, is it more so that you want a successor that's really inventive and really cares about pushing the boundaries? Like it's just figuring out what it is that this next iteration will be and then finding the person who can best push that. Because I feel like I think you'd mentioned gum. Violet could have been a very good successor. She's actually obsessed with gum and knows a lot about it yeah, maybe, so if you're going to expand into the gum market yeah maybe it's all about gum for version two you yeah. know Lily wonka 2.0 we actually we've actually worked with some leaders who are looking to move on and find their successor and what we see is that they are trying to find themselves mm-hmm. again and fill that hole right yeah uh, how do we advise them when they're trying to find because, because, of course, you can't find yourself again. No. So what's our advice to those leaders? Um, well, number one, think about succession planning early rather than at the last minute. So I would start thinking about who, who should fill your shoes early on, as early on as you can start. You know, people, especially really successful executives, tend to really grow into the role and they become different every you know every time you move up a level you need to become kind of a different person in order to adjust to where you are now in the situations before you so the person who is um who took that job when you is not the same person who's leaving that job and so it's kind of a fallacy to look for somebody who reminds you of yourself everything's different now you're different and you're not even the same as you were so the it it that's another reason why getting more people involved and not just having it be one uh, the the person leaving picking the successor is really important. Okay, so hot take: Succession is a modern update of Willy Wonka, in which Logan is Willy Wonka and he is winnowing off the children as successors <laughs> one by one. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> no, how, so let, no, hopefully not. Um, but how do you gracefully transition leaders? So let's say you have found your successor and you're like, okay, I'm I'm ready to leave. I'm going to bring this person on. What are some of the best practices around that handover? Any? Clarification. So yes. handover from the executive's point of view or from the company's point of view? Or from the person who's taking the new job? Uh, all of the above? All of the above, okay. Yeah, how, how do you make sure that transition from the old leader to the new leader goes smoothly? Well, I think the most the first thing that I always want to make sure new leaders know is that there's going to be a hangover from the old leader. Whether they were fantastic or terrible, You, um, you people are not going to just say, oh, new person, we're going to do everything differently now. They're going to treat you the way the old leader wanted to be treated. And it's going to be confusing to you if you want to be treated very differently than that. And you're just going to have to keep 
gently reordering people to like a lot of times we I have worked with new leaders who want to be very much um, community decision making and have people more involved and they've been following somebody who was much more of an autocratic leader who just wants to tell everybody how it's going to be and uh, the new leader says how come I, I so I've been so interested in people's input how come they won't give it to me and it's like it's going to take a minute for them to believe that you're serious about mm -hmm. this because they're treating the last you, you like the last person in the world Last question. We've been brought in to Wonka's factory to consult just as Willy Wonka is officially handing the reins over to Charlie. What is our advice? How do we help Charlie take over management of the Oompa Loompas? <laughs> Well, I, you know, again, I've been talking about how I'd like to see more of the Oompa Loompas step up to contribute the knowledge that they have. Also, I have so many questions here. I mean, do the Oompa Loompas go home? Is it like the the factory store here? I where think it's a factory town. It's a factory there, store. Yes. They live there. So they're slaves, basically. Yeah. I don't think they're paid. They're I don't think they're paid. They're, think, they're happy, happy slaves. I think they're paid. Sure. <laughs> I want to say in the book, they actually do visit like an Oompa Loompa village and there are like women and children. And so, like, yes, they are, like, it is a functional society. And they're paid in, like, cocoa beans. This is, this is a little, it's been a minute since I read the book, but I believe they're paid in cocoa beans, which are hard to get in Oompa Loompa land. But, you know, they're basically a byproduct at the chocolate factory. And so they actually do receive their payment in goods. Okay. Well, please come to my next TED Talk on the inherent problematicity of this. <laughs> However, since that's not what we asked, what I would say is basically get, I would say, let's uh, start talking to the Oompa Loompas and see what they have to say about how we could improve processes or innovations, or maybe they have some great ideas. At this point, it sounds like also they really, what they need to do is work out some of the problems with the products that are under, already under um, development. And I'm thinking about like that candy store that they show in the beginning where the candy man can. And it's a real big shift between here's your chocolate bar and here is your um, bubble that mm -hmm. uh, soda that lifts you up and now you're floating around, you know. They might want to, to think about how they're rolling some of that stuff out and what, you know, is this the correct, how are, how are we marketing this and what safeguards do we have, you know? Yeah. So that might be something also that a person who's a little bit more compassionate might enjoy thinking about more than Willy Wonka. Yeah. So this is going to be like when Apple redesigned the retail experience. Is that what yes, you're telling me? We're going to see is. innovation in the candy store. I, I love it. Yep. Yeah, I, I would agree. I feel like I'm, I'm assuming Charlie doesn't know very much about candy production <laughs> process. So I think we say this to all leaders, whether you're taking over a company or just a team, but go in and ask a bunch of questions and ask people what their day consists of and get to know it before you try to make changes to it. It's it's that way for a reason. Usually there's some, you know, thinking and process behind all of it. So before you go in and start like fiddling with it, ask as many questions as you can so you can get all the perspectives. Well, thank you for listening and indulging to us at Work of Fiction. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode and leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing. If you want to learn more or get in touch, please visit us at workoffiction.fm. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.